that's what I'm saying. Community radio can experiment with different ways of uh, doing everything. You know, yeah. with a bit of imagination, you can change radio. Welcome to Social Fabric. In this program, we'll bring you conversations with people discussing their passion and the interaction with their community. We explore how different jobs, careers or achievements can inspire us to make small changes to improve our lives within our own community. You can find more episodes on socialfabric.ie or wherever you get your podcast. The program is also broadcast weekly on Dublin's Near FM 90.3. I'm your host Andreas Blendori and this week my guest is Jack Byrne. Jack was instrumental in setting up community radio in Ireland. He really believes in the importance of community and giving everyone a voice. He has some great stories and I hope you enjoy my conversation with him. Can I call you up a while on a Friday night? We could reminisce on old days and we Talk a while, just sit and talk a while. Been so long now just, since just say a couple of things just to check the levels. In okay, them. yeah, well, just you need to watch me because I'll ramble on an anecdote all day, so you need to do some sort of a sign to me, Ted. All right, enough of that, shut up, because I'll keep talking, so I'm just warning you. Okay, so what we'll do uh, when I, I'll ask you about a song, then I'll take a couple of seconds. Okay. Just to break it up and, yeah. and uh, put the songs in afterwards. Yeah. Um, okay, so look, <coughs> Jack Byrne, thanks a million for your time. Really okay. appreciate it. And uh, I think what I, I don't know you, I never met you um, about the last couple of minutes there in the office, but uh, I'd just like to start from the beginning. Okay. If that's okay. Just uh, yeah, give yeah. us a bit of bio where you, where, where you come from and all of that. Okay, okay. Well, uh, well, I'm 82 years of age. That's the start of the bio. Uh, and originally a Southsider in Dublin uh, from Renela. Uh, and as I say, we natives call it Renela, although the blow-ins now call it Ranela. You know, it's gone all upmarket and it's Ranela. But, uh, so I was a, a Southsider uh, and my wife was also a Southsider from the South Circle Road. And, but we gradually sort of drifted north until we finally wound up in Coolock, you know, and I spent most of the final years raising family in Coolock. Uh, and being sort of very active in, in the community, setting up Credit Union, uh, an ill-fated grocery cooperative store as well in the area to undercut the supermarkets. Uh, so um, I've been quite active in, in the area in all sorts of community projects, including setting up Near FM Community yeah. Cooperative. And uh, Renela <coughs> in the... Whatever, a few years ago. I'm glad you're saying Renala, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I, a few of my friends call it Renala. They must be the real dogs. They're the real dogs, yeah, okay. <laughs> they're the real dogs, yeah. And uh, that must have been something, uh, like, uh, very close to the city, but it must have been, a, like, a little village at the time, or? It was, very was, very, definitely. Renala was quite a narrow little street of shops, and the sh some of the shops are still there, like, it's, it's incredible, you know, and it was a very tight-knit community. We actually grew up in a really interesting house. It, it probably was the only tenement house in the area. I mean, they are... Even in, in the the 40s and maybe early 50s, Renla was quite a salubrious uh, location. It still was a lot of fine uh, red bricks. Uh, there would be, be semi-detached houses, but quite w with single families in them. But we, we act I actually grew up in, I think it was the only tenement located in, in the area. It was in Annavilla. And it actually was a house that was several hundred years old. It was actually the house that was built 
with fields all around it for a, the notorious Major Sir was his name. Uh, he, he was the guy who was in charge of basically the Metropolitan Police Force uh, in 1798 when the rebellion took place uh, and he crushed it uh, and, and w- was famously uh, re- remembered for stabbing, uh, sh- shooting rather, Lord Edward Fitzgerald, one of the leaders of the rebellion, uh, and left him to bleed to death in a cell. Uh, and for uh, for his work, he was handsomely rewarded by the empire and built this house for himself in, in the surrounding fields. Renly was built around him, but Annavilla House g- gave its name to Annavilla, uh, and it was a four-story tall house and with, with loads of families in it by the time we got there it was families in it you know uh, with lots of uh, odd stories of movements and doors rattling and feet moving in the dark and all that sort of stuff and of course we grew up <coughs> with the story that Major Sir in remorse for his work in crushing the Irish Rebellion hanged himself in the toilet uh, of the house uh, and when we'd come in from playing in the street uh, into a darkened house there was no interior lighting uh, in the hallways and the stairs uh, you had to gallop up this long flight of dark stairs past the haunted bathroom uh, waiting for a hand to reach out and grab you you know so you were glad to plunge into the warmth of a gaslit room where your family were and have escaped the clutches of the the evil major sir okay so anyway, see what I'm, war- I'm warning you I'm warning That's you okay. I'm warning That's you I'll, I'll keep talking well but the, the old premises of this conversation is this conversation and uh, you know we we lost a lot of that, you know. We do, we do too much of what we're talking about yes, earlier on on yeah. the phone, and we lost the 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 the, the talking and the, yes, the, the yes. storytelling, which you know. And the story runs into another story. With story. me, you, you need to watch. But this. that's <laughs> fine. That's fine. I, I will stop you when the time is right. Okay. But how did you like coming across to Kulak Then that back then was quite a quite a trip, right? Well, I was actually just another anecdote. I was actually working in in a confectionery uh, factory in Terenure, uh and I was actually the fries crunchy expert. The fries, you know, the fries mm. crunch. I was the guy who knew how to make the the interior uh, bubble uh, and not collapse because it was bread soda. I shouldn't be giving away trade secrets now, but uh, there was a there was a formula that rose up the yellow honeycomb. Uh, and I was the honeycomb expert uh, and Cadbury's we made them for Cadbury's and Cadbury's were actually uh, located on East Wall at the time but they were moving to this greenfield site in Kula down the road from the station here uh, and I was offered a lad from Milltown I lived in Milltown at this stage going further nearly getting closer to your place in Greystones <laughs> I was out in Milltown when they offered me a, a, a position as the, the honeycomb crunchy expert in Coolock. Uh, I'd never even heard of the place so I had to get a bus from town bus to town another bus out I think the bus stopped at Donny Carney and then the, the, the bus driver said pointed to a hill of trees and grass and meadows and he said it's up the top of the hill there somewhere cool and I said are they mad there's not a house in sight why would they be building a factory I, I turned down the offer and it was just strange irony that I wind up living about 20 20 metres from, from from Cadbury's factory now you know right. Okay, let's break it up with the first song you gave me. Uh, no particular order, I suppose, but uh, the Foggy Dew and uh, the one you picked is Sinead O'Connor and the Chieftains. Well, I think, th- for me, this is the most evocative of all the Irish rebel ballads. I just think it has something special for it. I know it was included in the list recently of RTE uh, and didn't quite make the cut as the ma- most, but I was glad at least it was in there and recognised nationally as an incredibly evocative song about, about the rebellion. Uh, and there's lots of versions, but I just think Sinead's voice is so clear and 
pure on it. Uh, and the Chieftains, I know, I knew some of the lads in the Chieftains. I ran a folk magazine in, in the 60s, uh, really just an excuse to get out drinking in, 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 in the ballot pubs uh, and staying back afterwards, pretending to do interviews and drinking. But So I knew a lot of the dads, the Dubliners and, you know, and the Chieftains and so on. But it's ju- I think this is just a good version of it. Um, with you for a moment uh, in back then um, in terms of studies and work and, you know, give us a bit of an idea how did you the, the path to 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 life you know to like what, what were you doing like what study wise did you finish school did you do all of that I no I left school early I left school at 14 uh, I was the eldest of five uh, my father I often my my wife often used to say her her father left and never came back and I, I said my complaint is my father kept coming back you know he just would go off on a binge and would, would turn up eventually uh, so I was in, in many ways at 14 the breadwinner for, for the family so from that sort of start uh, I was always sort of creative and I, I was doing sort of art courses and in the evenings in rat mines and that sort of thing uh, and in fact, in the in the in the factory where I was working, the the the, the crunchy factory, a job came up for uh, a window dresser, basically going around to news agents, particularly wh- wh- that sold confectionery, uh, and dressing their window with paper mache uh, artifacts and being creative. Uh, and and I I heard the job was going, and I couldn't drive and I couldn't window dress. But I decided I'd do both. So I applied, went up to the office, which was odd even then as I think about it. Uh, people in the factory didn't go up to the office. And I was looked at rather oddly because I was in my sort of crunchy gear, uh, you know. So uh, I was obviously uh, one of the proletariat uh, up in the office with all the nice posh girls from Terran Europe. But I went in and saw the sales manager and convinced him. I, clearly, I was a salesman even then, a budding salesman. Uh, I convinced him that I should ha- be given a try. So so I was given a month both to learn how to window dress and to drive because I was going to have to be mobile and drive around to this. So I learned in the month both how to drive. Uh, a guy in the warehouse helped me. Uh, and I learned how to pull this paper mache stuff to stretch. And I actually became quite creative at it. So I spent a couple of years at that uh, on the company decided that's enough of that you know we, we, we'll move on so I then said I, I'll stay with you and became a sales sales representative for the company uh, and I loved that I actually uh, I enjoyed driving I just loved to drive I wouldn't tell the company but I nearly would have paid them to let me drive around Ireland I loved driving around the, the different counties and meeting people in the different counties and I often say to dubs who never go outside the pale <coughs> and who give out about the culties you nearly get out and meet. There's lovely people in every county in this country. They're beautiful people. Uh, and I have great affection for, for every county, you know. So that, w- that was my career, really. I was a sales and marketing. Uh, but 
I mean, they tried repeatedly to promote me, but I didn't want to be promoted. This is an odd idiosyncrasy of mine in that I didn't want to become too immersed in basically the capitalist system. Uh, I, I, I felt as a salesman, I was a foot soldier for capitalism, and that was enough. Uh, I refused repeatedly to be promoted. Uh, and in, in the, my downtime, as I say, to sort of to balance my life, I was was always active in community development work. So when I'd come home evenings or weekends, I'd be I'd have some maybe one or two community development projects on the go. That's brilliant. And obviously, you were saying earlier on when we we're in the office. Uh, I mean, the <clears throat> the best part of the the job is meeting people. You know, the, and, and and people that. You know, when you left the job, they you know, were sending you. Yeah, yeah. Sending you. Well, I was anecdotal. See, again, I probably was an odd. Maybe I was. Maybe that's why I worked. I, I was successful as a salesman because I didn't bounce in the door with my briefcase, spouting you know, shibboleths and sales pro- propaganda. I would wander in and say, "Will I tell you a story?" And I was telling. St- I, I'm just a storyteller and veteran story. And I'd be telling them stories. They'd be true. Something that happened to me maybe in a previous call and. They used to look forward to me coming in with stories, you know. So, and then we tell story, and then they say we better do a bit of an order. I was still telling stories, and they'd they'd have to remind me why I was there in the shop, you know. So we we then do the same. But I I I it worked, and I wasn't it wasn't a ploy. It was how I interacted with people. I like people, and I love people who let me talk. I mean, that's the main thing. I love people. They're my favorite people, you know. Like you are at the moment. Okay, <laughs> that's brilliant. Let's break it up with the next song before we get onto the radio. Um, she moved through the fair, Fairport, Fairpoint Convention. Okay, this probably is probably one of the most beautiful Irish airs ever. I don't know what it hits me somewhere really deep. I love it. I love the tune. Uh, the, the 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 lyrics are a bit obscure. But it's, it's it's a bit about death and resurrection and ghosts but the tune is beautiful and there's so many good versions of it so many good ver- but I just like this one particularly it was a, a their Fairport convention they're an English folk rock group and they came across it and I think their version is, is as good as any of the other versions I've heard of it so I just picked that rather than one of the more traditional ones again maybe Sinead and the Chieftains or something like that I just thought that Fairport to do a nice version of an Irish ba- ballad you know Alan here in the station I wanted to talk to somebody it was almost like a, in a way it was kind of a thank you to you guys for allowing me to do what I'm doing and it's just a passion of mine that has yeah, kind okay. of developed we're in this lovely studio now and I must say I didn't know anything about community radio before I came across Near FM and I'm uh, hugely impressed by the professionality and everything that goes on in here like everybody's just great and uh, and the, the so I come over here about a year ago, just over a year ago, did a course, right, and uh, and it was great. Gave me the the idea, gave me the the basic to to be able to do. And what you got I'm, the buzz, yeah. And yeah. I got the buzz, okay, and I got yeah. the bug. So they suggested you because you pretty much started all this, right? So uh, I, I, I did a bit of research. You started lobbying for community radio in the seventies, seventies, right? yeah, seventies, yeah. What? Why? 
It goes back to uh, the previous uh, venture, uh, a food cooperative, uh, which we set up, which was based on a Canadian model, which was a no-frills warehouse. Uh, the food were, were still in boxes on pallets, uh, so there was very little frills, but the prices were great. I mean, the frills were in the prices. Uh, we were knocking the socks off the local supermarkets, uh, but we were warned that, they would put us out of business uh, and I, I, I was cocky enough then in this this is mid 70s give it your best shot you know uh, and they did uh, and they, they ran full page ads in the newspapers selling cornflakes and beans probably a pe- we're talking poons now a few pennies cheaper than us be as and we were empty for weeks you know we and then of course to put pressure on suppliers to come looking for their invoices to be paid up uh, earlier uh, so we had a cash flow problem. Oh, they did. They shut us down. But uh, I, I just felt it, it was such a good opportunity for for local people to get really uh, uh, sort of benefit from cheaper, particularly at Easter with Easter eggs and Christmas toys. The markups on this stuff, we were absolutely selling them so much cheaper. But people just could not seem to get the idea. So it was a trauma- quite traumatic. Uh, the thing collapsed. Uh, I actually wound up in court because I was I had signed for uh, all of the the butchery department it was a huge butchery department on to, so uh, we had it out on lease now they got it all back but the leasing company felt there was a shortfall of thirty thousand pounds uh, so Jack was told he'd have to either take the gear pay for it and I was trying to convince my wife that we'd have the biggest freezer in the country if she'd let me take it into the house <laughs> but it was huge because you could hang six cows in it but uh, she didn't want it she didn't want it she didn't want it so uh, I went up in court uh, found against uh, and had to start paying back uh, to, to the leasing company a substantial sum of money and that should have been enough for anyone I should have slunk away and licked me wounds and you know went down to the pub and got drunk but I got to thinking about why how did they get the better of us and it was media they they used print media at the time uh, to undermine us and to sell I think a bogus message uh, to, to people and I said we might have succeeded if we had owned our own media and that got me started looking at media uh, as a as a tool to empower people I mean I'm quite passionate about this uh, I really do think that people are misinformed a great deal of time from their media particularly mainstream media and even broadcast media even public service media I think there's a there's a certain collective message there and we as an alternative need to be broadcasting alternative messages it's not propaganda it's just giving people a more a wider range of opinions that they can sort of adjudicate on i think that's really the role of community media not to be a propaganda thing but just to give people more information and let them make maybe wiser decisions based on a wider array of facts to to sort of dwell on rather than the sort of overlapping message that you get from most media yeah, and I liked something you, uh, I listened to an interview you did with uh, Donnie here in the station a couple of years ago, and uh, you did mention, and I thought that was really an interesting point, that you know, for people coming into a radio station, they could be quite nervous, yeah. and they, they might not get out what they want to get out there yeah. and then in the 10 minutes they might yeah. be on RT, but over here you give them a chance again and again, they can yeah. keep coming back every yeah. week to 
and if you had that radio station back in the 70s, you could have explained, by the way. We could have. I think we would have counted it big time if we could have had. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think I think that's what got me interested in the power of media to shape. I mean, that print media uh, campaign altered the, the, the well-being of people in this area. They had a really cheap uh, source of food uh, and they let it go, you know. And and I really do blame the the manipulation of media, and that's why I think Near FM exists now because uh, at least we are here and we can offer alternative voices, and we do try to f- find alternative voices and opinions. Not as I say, sometimes we're accused of being left leaning, but I think when a lot of media is right leaning, the balance is there. You have to have that left voice just to give people an alternative perspective on things. We're still not saying accept it, but at least you can adjudicate on between the two opinions. A lot of the time, people just get one very, uh, it's a hegemonic I, I, I opinion uh, based on the whole growth system, which I, I personally think we have a big climate change problem because of the whole growth economy. Uh, we can't keep growing uh, the way we are. We need to sit back, assess, and I think part of what we do here with NEAR is try to offer people, or to provide voices and opinions about alternative ways to maybe live in a more sustainable way on on the planet. So they're big issues. They're big existential issues. Uh, it's not just about having fun with radio. We, we do take our media work quite seriously. Absolutely. We'll talk a bit more about that in a second. Um, Joe Hill, Paul Robinson. Paul Robson, sorry. Paul Robson, sorry, Okay, Robson. okay. Uh, again, uh, you sort of sense my own sensibilities here, but Joe Hill was a trade union uh, organiser in the 20s and 20s into the 30s in, in the USA, uh, finally was executed. Uh, now, this low, Luke Kelly does a really good version of that, probably a better version than Robson, but the reason I sort of picked Robson because he was a contemporary uh, and his, his, his version is more mournful uh, but Robeson had his own problems with his left-leaning views and activities uh, and his own career suffered in the United States because of his uh, left sort of opinions. So I thought he probably was, Luke was a good old lefty as well, I knew, I knew Luke, uh, but I just thought Robeson's version captured that bluesy moment of, of uh, a, a, a trade union being crushed by basically paramilitary force, you know. I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead I never died, says he I never died, says he In Salt Lake City, Joe says I I'm standing by my bed They framed you on a murder charge Before you started to um, lobbying for uh, community radio state, was, was there no community radio in Ireland when you started? No, no, not at all. No, I mean, I, my, my biggest problem was trying to talk to successive ministers for communication who 
thought I was mad. I mean, I'm, I, kept, I kept expecting two men in white coats to come into the door and take me away by the elbows quietly. You know, come on, come on, come on. You'll be all right. Wait, we stick this needle in your neck. Uh, no, they didn't know. They hadn't that clue. I mean, we had terrible problems with them, you know. Uh, Michael D. Higgins, who's our current uh, president, was probably the first politician I met who I didn't even have to explain it to him. I just said community media. I said ra- I probably said radio. And he nodded. And I knew, and I knew he wasn't doing a politician's. Not he understood exactly, implicitly what I was talking about. Uh, so, you know, most of the others we had problems from the seventies on. In fact, it was going back that far that the first minister I was talking to was Minister for Posts and Telegraphs. That was that was the title of the man who was supposed to be giving me community radio. Uh, I didn't want a po- telegraph system or a postal system. I wanted radio. So it was a difficult, really was. I mean, and, and I was a bit of a, I suppose, an eccentricity that RTE would let me on some of their primetime sort of programs. I think just as an oddity, hey, we have a bit of crack with this lad, let him on. Uh, so I did get a lot of uh, television time uh, with, including with Michael D uh, talking about alternative media and community media and I tried to keep it safe I mean I remember the, we finally got a, a, a meeting with the first IRTC uh, this was the Independent Radio and Television Commission when it was set up uh, and I was chair of this nascent network of there were pirate community radio stations at the time but there were around the country quite a few people I think had an intuition or an instinct that we should the technology was becoming available and FM transmission was cheap and people knew how to work it. So people were trying it, but I felt in talking to them, most of them were still talking, a community commercial version of commercial local radio. They were talking about playing chart music, selling ads, you know, and I kept saying, there's so much more you can do. So even within within the, the, the budding community radio network, I was still an oddity. They still didn't know, what is he? fucking talking about you know so so but i went in anyway to meet the the chairman of the uh, irtc a retired high court judge and i said i better be playing this very safe i don't want to be talking about trotsky now and and, and karl marx and like that so i talked about uh the boy scouts and the girl guides would go off for the weekend on their trips you know and they could come back then and talk on their community radio station you know in, in Greystones or whatever uh, about their lovely weekend so I thought I'd keep it as safe as possible as girls girl guys and boy scout and they were still this commission were wrinkling their nose and saying what is he talking about because they were set up I think ostensibly they understood they were set up to break up the public service monopoly and bring in commercial local radio and that's they could understand that. They could understand giving a lad a license to make money. But me, Tab, the Boy Scouts talking, they could not understand. What is he at? They, I was waiting for the men in the white coats again. <laughs> so, so I don't know how I've escaped this long that I'm not in Grange Garmin or somewhere. But, but uh, So you started back in the 70s and near a fame where we're sitting it was set up in 1995. Yeah. So that was a long time. Oh yeah, no. Like well, we had a cooperative. We set a cooperative up in the early. I think eighty two. We registered uh, the cooperative. I was keen on the cooperative because I think, I think it, I, it was a struggle. I mean, basically, we were in a struggle for recognition uh, and 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 to be allowed to exist. And I felt that the cooperative was a good model because it is a model of 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 a uh, struggle against. I mean, I'm going back to the Rochdale pioneers in in the eighteen forties in England uh, when they saw these. Uh, merchants setting up basically capitalist grocery stores and exploiting local workers uh, and they set up uh, the first cooperative uh, store in Rochdale with 
principles of cooperative action, education, uh, equality, all of these sort of, and I said I like that. So when we were setting up the, the, the incorporated model for our project here, I said it has to be a cooperative because we're struggling and we need to espouse the same ideas of equality. Everybody is free to come in, will have the right to communicate uh, and, and, and will be free to talk. And we don't ex- exclude anybody uh, we might not always agree with someone's point of view. Now, we, we have said if somebody's uh, promoting, you know, violence against uh, a group, or we, we will certainly challenge that and not allow that. But within reason, a person can say quite outrageous things uh, on, on Near FM because they have a right to communicate. We, we, it's a whole thing is predicated on the right to communicate. When we ran the first conference, where we brought the international community radio movement to Dublin in 1990. We were out in uh, UCD. Uh, and I said the theme of it is the right to communicate because I felt this is the bedrock of what we're doing. It's to provide access to every citizen to communicate themselves, to talk about their concerns and aspirations. So that's the bedrock of what we're trying to do. Not always successfully, but we do try to do it. Brilliant. The next song you have, Billy Holiday, Strange Fruit. Yeah, well, put out Billy Holiday. I mean, I, I, this... This particular song is, is conjures up such images. I mean, if people don't know what it refers to, the strange fruit are actually black men hanging from limbs of trees. Uh, and at the time, there was quite a... Uh, it was happening quite a lot uh, in the United States. Uh, it's just people seeing a whim just to seem to grab a black man and hang him. So Billie Holiday heard this song, liked it, and she was already quite a successful blues singer with her label. Uh, but they wouldn't let her record it. They weren't having it. So she had to set up her own label. To, she wanted to record this particular song. And if people haven't heard it, listen to it. It's it's heartrending to listen to it. And Billy particularly singing it uh, because she understood exactly what she was singing. So for me, it's just one of those songs that reminds me of a terrible period that isn't quite gone yet. We still have a lot of racism. And even here in Ireland, there's still a lot of... Uh, sort of nascent racism there uh, with immigrants and people need to listen to this and see is this where you want to go you know with it this is the ultimate of of racism where you think you can take a human being because of the color of their skin and hang them from a tree you know southern trees bear strange fruit blood on at the root Black bodies swinging in the southern breeze Strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees The the journey then with the near fam from 95 is now but in the studios, you know, four studios here, as I said, there's programs all day, every day, and uh, and a lot of volunteers. You're you're now chairman of uh, Creole, is that how you pronounce it? Not now, not now. No, oh, I, I, I had, you're right. I was uh, up to last year. Up to my, last year. My, my wife is, is ill at the moment, so I had to step down. I was enjoying it, and we were doing a lot of good reorganizing of of the Creoles. Creole Network. Creole is uh, Irish for broadcast. Okay. Uh, so, so we, yeah, I was chair for three years, and we did a lot of governance restructuring. Uh, and I was quite enjoying that because I can be quite bossy when I when I <laughs> when I like. Uh, but as I say, I had to step down. But I'm actually still involved with 
the lobbying subgroup of Crail because I still meet I probably have more experience than anyone of talking to ministers uh, and trying to cajole them into I mean with Eamon Ryan when he was Minister for Communications in 2009 uh, I encouraged them to put in a definition of media literacy we at NEAR have been pushing media literacy for the last 20 years we felt it was an important part of people's listening uh, benefits that they would understand how to read media how to understand if there was propaganda or there were being sort of uh, you know being lied to <clears throat> so we we got that into the into the act uh, which I, I was pleased with you know so yeah I, I'm still involved with Crail at that level of lobbying the the, 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 the reason I was interested because there's, there was tw- there's 20 plus stations yeah. at the moment and over 2,000 volunteers yeah which is it's is, is just brilliant you know I don't know many are in uh, in uh, near fame but the well, there's usually around a hundred people here. Come, okay. give or take. You know, one or two will leave, and some of them get disgruntled and leave, but <laughs> others still enjoy it. You know, but around a hundred here generally. Yeah. But in in again to go back to that interview with Donny in 2017, you said that one of the, you you reckoned that they could, this could grow. From oh well, it should grow. I mean, I'm, we're stalled. We're we're seriously stalled at the moment. I mean, we yeah. hit 22, 24 even at one stage, uh, just before the crash, uh, 2008, uh, and part of our lobby the reason I'm still involved with that aspect is that we feel that there, there is a definite move afoot to reshape the television licence fee uh, because it is redundant now because a lot of people don't use a television set stuck in the corner of the room. They've laptops, they've tablets, they've phones. Uh, so there is a move to bring in a sort of a, a levy or a tax on, on media uh, which will broaden the base of, of the fund available uh, and that that's ongoing and a lot of it has been driven by the commercial radio people who feel that they need a share of this public service fund which RTE gets exclusively and we're making the case well if commercial media can get it then people doing community development social benefit media should certainly get a slice of it as well so we're stalled we're actually stalled on, on financial ground most of the stations haven't grown uh, the numbers certainly have grown. They've actually diminished by a few, and it's purely financial. Uh, or it's the stresses of finance that leads to bad governance. I think if we we were on an upward curve, 2006, 2007, if we could have kept going and got some f- funding, and not we're not talking massive sums of money, I think we could be at 50 stations now around the country, you know. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just to give you an idea, what what is what does it take to set, set up a station? And what does it take? I know they're all different. I know yeah. this, but it, if I want to start a station in I don't know in La Hinch, yeah, in in Clare, what do I need to do? How much would it cost me? No, but it's not it's not dear at all. In fact, there's there's one guy that what started. Dublin Community Radio years ago, who is a who has a technical service, uh, and he has a package. I don't know what the price is now, but it's, it's quite reasonable. I think for about ten grand, you get all the gear. You get a studio, you get a FM transmitter. You, you know, you get a mast. You can be broadcasting for ten grand if you're if you can raise that kind of money locally. Uh, that would be the basics. After that, sure. then you you need to sort of have studios and depends on the premises what soundproofing you need. But it's not it's not a, a exhaust in sums of money uh, it's the running cost it's afterwards running it's sustaining it if there's rents there's levies from the broadcasting authority uh, it's just the ongoing cost now 
there are a couple of stations around the country, I won't name them, but one or two of them who did very well. They got huge premises for a sort of a peppercorn rent of 100 euros a year. Uh, now, our rent here is horrendous, you know, uh, but there are stations, depends on the circumstances. Some of them have very low rents and they're, they can they can do quite well. But all of them, I think, feel, even the existing ones who are doing well, do feel that they could do with this top-up of a small amount of this public service fund to just sustain them into new equipment, into doing more training, more outreach. I mean, a lot of the stuff we have here, a very good uh, woman, uh, Dorothy from Germany, who is specifically outreach and she is hugely successful for us in reaching out to community groups and individuals and encouraging them explaining to them what we're about our ethos of openness of your right to communicate and setting up training for them so but it's costly you know we have to we have to find a, a decent salary for this woman you know so it's costly and i think community radio could be doing a huge job all over this country if we could get a government that would understand the va- its value, its social benefit to, to the community. I actually got Eamon Ryan to put into the, well, I again, it rebounded on me when I was finishing up with Eamon Ryan as Minister for Communications. I wrote to them to ask them, would they acknowledge in the legislation they were drafting the social benefit of community media? But it actually went in as an obligation. They put it in that we're now obliged to do a social benefit to our community. So, I turned into a, another chore. Well, we, it's what we want to do anyway, but it's in as an obligation. But we're now saying we're the only sector in the Broadcasting Act that's obliged to do something like that. Commercial radio have no obligations. Mm. RTE basically is public service, whatever that is. So we're obliged to do social benefit to our community. What is it? We're trying to figure that out because we feel that might be the way we can uh, tap into this uh, broadcasting levy when it when it materialises. Brilliant. Uh, James Connolly, Frank Hart. Well, James Connolly is my man from the revolution. Anyway, I'm sure you've guessed that already. <laughs> uh, and I know Frank, well, I knew Frank well. He was a beautiful, beautiful man, a uh, lovely, gentle person with such a head full of ballads. I mean, long, convoluted ballads. He would have in his head at the drop of a, uh, a mention of it a ballad 50 verses long in his head, you know, with the tune, and you'd pick, a few minutes later, you'd ask him and he'd have another one. He was a beautiful man. Uh, and we actually, just before he died, we were talking to him about doing a series of on-air workshops, training young people in singing his ballads, because he, he was a unique, just a voice. Uh, Donald Lunny, again, that I know, Donald often would accompany him on recordings just with a little bit of a string instrument. But generally, Frank's voice was the melody uh, and he sang it unaccompanied. Uh, and I just love his version. It's mournful, where is this man, James Connolly? You know, I mean, there are other rousing songs about James Connolly, but this one is mourning the death of James Connolly. And Frank has such a plaintive, sad voice. Uh, some of your listeners or our listeners should look it up. I'm sure it's on YouTube. Look it up and have a listen to it. Where all oh, where? Where is our James Connolly? Where, oh, where can that brave man be? He is gone to organize the union that working men might yet be free. Where, oh, where is the citizen army? 
where all where can that brave band be? Just, this is purely my own. I rendered you speechless, I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Uh, this is purely my own uh, curiosity. And again, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. You're saying a, a community radio station should serve the community within... <laughs> Doesn't have to be a big area. No, because, no. You know, the fact, the better the smaller. The, better, the, the smaller, be smaller. Yeah, yeah, the smaller yeah. the better because you can pinpoint yeah, the issues yeah. or highlight the the opportunities. And as you say, when when it's a small geographic area, then people can come back again. You know, yeah. this way, RTE with the best will in the world can't facilitate every citizen of the state whereas we're in a very small locality sorry for cutting across you Andrew but no, it's, okay. it's the point is that when when we're that small geographically a person as we talked about earlier who comes in their mouth is dry and they're stumbling over what they want to say they have a passion about something uh, and they go out I, I've spoken to them I've even done it myself when I was on RTE in the, in the 70s Jesus if it only got a chance I'd say that better I didn't quite say what I wanted to say so I think the beauty of, of a, a very local community radio service is that you can come back and you can gain confidence and competence in, in articulating whatever whatever moves your whatever your passions are. And I think that's the beauty of, of community radio. Being small and local, you can really serve that community of individuals. Yeah, and and it and it's great. And uh, for those that don't know a community radio, because this program is going to go out on the on the RFM, but it's also going out as a podcast. Just, just give us a flavor of what, on a daily basis, what, what type of, ish, what type of programs go? I know there's music program, but there's a lot more than that. There's, there's, Lifeline. There's all sorts of. Uh, yeah, well, we, well, I mean, I, I've, I've, I've a philosophy that I try to hammer home here. One, one, one of my mantras is: there's always another way to do things because I find, very quickly, new volunteers come in and they. If they're into music, they'd be listening to the commercial stations in Dublin uh, and maybe putting on a DJ X and hi, hi folks. And you know that. So we, we don't let them put on funny accents. If you're from Coolock, talk in your Coolock accent. If you're from Greystones, talk in your Greystones accent, even with yours a bit, <laughs> with, with other sort of colours in it from, from, from Italy. <laughs> but uh, it's getting, and, and we certainly do not allow uh, columnists of name. In the pilot days, we used to have people who put on funny cowboy names on themselves. And, you know, so if your name is Joe Murphy, then you're Joe Murphy from Coolock. Just be that. And that's, so that was one of my mantras. Be yourself. Be yourself. In fact, Oscar Wilde often said, be yourself because everybody else is taken. You know, so you, you, you have no choice but to be yourself. So that was the first one. The second one was, don't copy what, what mainstream media is doing. There's always another way to do it. And I think if you, if you experiment or even leave your own intuition alone in the studio, you'll find your own way to do it, uh, a better way to do it. So it, it'll be a different sound because I, we certainly didn't want... Uh, Near FM to sound like all the other stations in Dublin, chart music, DJs with the deep resonant voices, all that nonsense. Uh, so that that was different. Then I, I used to push that even on a specialist music program, if it's country, if it's classical, whatever it is, don't just talk out to the community, bring them in. Uh, make the whole area your studio uh, if you're classical and someone phones in and says I love that piece by Mozart say come on in next week and play some of your Mozart so we've pushed even the, the people who wanted to sit with 
in, with the microphone and play their own special music like they're at home doing it we push them all to try and bring in guests so we try to make a communication system out of every program even specialist music programs should be about communication so those are the sort of messages after that we we do do a lot of talk programs because again we, we try not to even even with the music programs we try to say do a little bit of research even if you have to google it get some some of the stuff you've been doing just google the, the song and give the listeners a bit of background information on it. don't just say that was and this is so it's it's all about breaking down that model that you copy you ape mainstream ways of doing it there's a community radio way of doing radio that's and I'm still pushing that. But I think we've made good headway with that. Absolutely. But you, you, you don't only do music and talks. You do documentaries. You do da- drama. Oh, you're answering your own question now, are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, you weren't going to give me the answer. Uh, no, the, the documentaries. Yes, uh, yes. Which one of them recently just won something in New York. That's so right. That's yeah, right. Yeah. So JJ uh, uh, Smith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's great because, again, you were saying you bring in you're bringing people in to, to act on it, to, yeah. to, to recite the, 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 the drama and all. So well, we do, we, we, we do. I mean, I remember a couple of years ago, I actually, I, I started to test these competitions. We don't do competitions. For Another thing we don't do, we don't do competitions because we're pitting our listeners against each other. I mean, they're smaller things. And I remember one time I heard one of our presenters saying, and we don't do competitions because the broadcasting authority won't allow us. And I'm saying, no, it's we don't allow it. They, they don't care. But so we just do, we try to do a lottery. So if people, if there's a gift, people phone in and they're all, their names go into a hat, but they're not competing with each other. There's no winners and losers other than someone gets lucky and gets pulled out of the hat but on the basis of that I actually come up with a, with a, 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 a school's quiz called the Dodo quiz okay and it's based on the Dodo in Alice in Wonderland who ha- had a race but everybody won so everybody got prizes uh, and the Dodo insisted that nobody lost and they all got prizes and I said I'm going to build a quiz around that so we did a school's general knowledge quiz uh, and it worked really well and the teachers loved it and the kids loved it and we had it in such a circular way that the I know it was quite circular because even the first round of uh, from the, a girls' school, uh, and they were told if they hit a certain point, they they'd all they had won. But there was more questions, so they actually built up a surplus of points that they didn't need. And then they were asked, "Will you give those surplus points to the boys' school?" And I was w- wondering, would the boys' girls t- t- thing would, would was the gender battle going to come in that early? These were. T- eight nine year old but they were generous the girls said no if we don't need those 20 points give them to the boys school so next week when the boys school came in they were already 20 points up as a surplus and it was explained to them the girls gave you these so they were delighted so they finished up with a surplus we are engineered that they all wound up with a surplus they all got prizes they won but they were asked only one boy in one of the groups said nah maybe we won't give the girl but the others all showed them down so they all learned generosity and cooperation, and we were stressing, and, and the teachers loved it, and as I said, the kids enjoyed it. They were, they were being challenged with general knowledge to their level, but I just think that, just what I'm saying, community radio can experiment with different ways of uh, doing everything, you know. Yeah. With a bit of imagination, you can change radio. Absolutely. And uh, the last thing on the radio, on the... You know the way FM, I don't know how FM works, right? Well, I'm have. not great either. But I have a problem with paper clips, so don't ask me technical <laughs> questions. <laughs> no, but just out of curiosity, it's um, so do you choose, when you set up a radio station, do you choose 
the the range like you know you can pick near fame that's negotiated with the with the broadcasting authority okay so they'll uh, go okay you got this they 20 give, mile radio they give you the we we in fact they were clever enough that we identified our territory and they they said at the outer limits parts of so we didn't even get so our okay. contract says parts of uh, Dunhamid parts of Sutton you know, that sort of thing so they if we said not everybody in Dunhamid can hear us they say well you only were to broadcast the parts of it anyway so it was a clever ploy uh, and they pitched they controlled the power now we didn't mind but it's it's tight enough the power to hit the, even our community FM if people understand FM actually is line of sight it's like a torchlight if you can't see the beam you're not picking it up yeah. medium wave was a much more flexible system it went through walls and around corners and stopped at street lights and was very well behaved. But FM is line of sight, uh, and if you if you can't see where the mast is, then the mast is not reaching you. So dips uh, on the way into Fairview uh, from our elevated height here, there can be problems with getting a bit patchy. So the strength of the signal would overcome that, but when your strength of your actual broadcast is limited. It does create reception problems. Okay. It's another way of nobbling us. We know, we know, what's, <laughs> we know what's going on. <laughs> okay, so Bill Haley, rock around the clock. Okay, I, well, I, I just thought that I was giving you a list of songs and people must think he must sit listening to his music with a frown on his face <laughs> all day long. So myself and my wife as teenagers went to the Theatre Royal now long gone to see Bill Haley and the Comets uh, live you know and we were in our day good rock and rollers quite proficient rock and rollers I used to throw the girdle up over my shoulder and all that sort of carry on uh, sort of swing our skirt up and show our knickers and all that sort of stuff <laughs> so we did all that We did, I was a good rock and roller in my day um, and this is a just to lighten the mood because it sounds like I sit with a frown listening to music and nothing else and so I'm not that dure. Uh, I, I do enjoy music. I, actually, I was a reasonably successful songwriter. Uh, had a song in the National Song Contest. Uh, won quite a few song contests around the country. This is pop music stuff I wouldn't tell I wouldn't tell the presenters here because they all think I'm, I'm into sort of classical music and that's and, and ballads but I actually was quite successful in writing pop songs at one, one two, stage in my youth yeah, yeah. Well, that's long long gone now 8 o'clock rock 9, 10, 11 o'clock 12 o'clock rock we're gonna rock around the clock tonight put your strat rags on join me Okay, so as we come towards the end, I want to stick with the community for a second because the whole idea of this project is based on the community. And we talked about the fact that you're giving the community the voice, and you do, and you know, people come in and they can express whatever, yeah. you know, they can talk about whatever's going on that week, good or bad and different. Yeah. But what have you seen in the last, since 95, I mean, have you seen some tangible results through your, and I know it's, it's, it's a tricky question, it but is. you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Because obviously you're doing it for the good of your heart. Yeah, you yeah. love it, and so does everybody else in this room. 
and and it's not just spinning a few records. It, there's a lot more to it. You know, there's some really good programs well, going. I know. Out. Yeah. No. Well, we. Well, it's 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 a difficult one. How long is a piece of string? Sure. It's very difficult to quantify it. A lot of it is anecdotal because we we know when we talk to particularly community organisations, they know their work has been enhanced by by having the station here to talk. Uh, if it's citizens' information, if it's lobbying advocacy advocacy groups, they all tell us that. Their, their work has improved and their reach and impact has improved. By, but that's anecdotal. Uh, but we have done some research over the years because we are puzzled by that ourselves. Are we, are we, are we effective? Is, is, the, is the thing working? Are we just killing ourselves? We're, are we busy fools, you know? Uh, and most of the research, in fact, all of the research confirms that there is a real impact. Uh, we did one while I was chair of CRAIL uh, and we based it on the right to communicate. Uh, Article 19 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights is every person's right to communicate through any all media. Uh, and we compared, we did research with the MRBI Ipsos, a, a very respectable uh, research group uh, used by the politicians and everybody else. And we did it deliberately, went to them, it was expensive. But they, they compared with focus groups uh, around the country where, there's, where there is community radio here in Con- Connemara, Yall, a few other places. Uh, and they compared the three models, public service media, commercial local radio and community radio uh, and against the right to communicate and the right to access. Uh, and all of the all of the focus groups com- said that community radio was by far the best in, in performing in all of these areas uh, so that in terms of a, 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 a citizen's right to communicate, again, as we talked about earlier, when a community radio station is located very locally, geographically, it's clearly more accessible than RTE and Donnybrook. But if its ethos is to really bring people in and encourage them to come in and not just broadcast out at them, then it, it does work. Uh, and the research, all the research shows, I mean, as I say, that's probably the best response I can give to you. Re- independent research keeps showing the social benefit uh, and the advantages of community media. No. And then just again to, to, to highlight the fact that it's not a, it, it's a proper radio station, this proper presenter, this proper, uh, uh, like yeah. you had, uh, you had the minister last week, uh, yeah. Bruton, uh, right, Richard yeah. Bruton, yeah. you interviewed him yourself? I interviewed yeah. him, yeah. So, you know, it, it is, it's, it, you don't have a listenership though, do you? You can't well, get that, or can you get that? Yeah, we, well, you see, the, 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 the one that we all go on is very expensive. The JNLR one yeah. is, is very expensive. Uh, but we did do a Red Sea one, but it was nationally. But it still showed a really high listenership. For, uh, we've done our own local ones, but when you do it yourself, when you, you, people take, it's not credible. So, uh, one of the things we're looking at now is, is we're actually doing research at the moment on how to develop a methodology that will allow community stations to credibly see what they're doing. So there will be an independent group doing the survey for, for us near and doing the one for y'all community radio and so on. So we're looking at, we're actually in the, just starting this Friday on researching a model that will do that because it, no, it's, a, it's a valid question. I always rejected when people say, what's your listenership figures? Because to me, that's the first sign of a commercial thing because the rate card is based on mm. that you sell listeners by the thousands, you know. And I was always rejecting it until we had a workshop one Saturday morning with groups like Citizens Information and other lobbying groups. And they all said, but we, we taken, we're taking Near FM very seriously. 
and we're doing all our preparation and our research work and then we go on air on Saturday morning and we broadcast well we'd like to know if anybody's listening and then I said okay that's now a valid question that's not a commercial question that's a communications question groups are entitled to know is their work being so then we that's when we started taking listenership ser- seriously but we do try to do a more qualitative uh, aspect to it than rather than just head counting but we still haven't cracked it i, I know what you're saying but i i, I sense that near has, has a good listenership i, I guess well, so. don't you listen every day mother yeah right <laughs> and <laughs> uh, listen just the the very last thing about Kulak because um, you, you kind of walked up to the Cadbury's at that time and there was nobody around you went no, I'm, I'm, it's only a cow on the field yeah Yeah, and he said no way I'm not going to work here and that was back then but now it's a completely different world right yeah. and um, what what would you like to see in, in Kulak what, what, what are the biggest challenges and what's is, is this still a challenging place or has it changed a lot or well, even for the arts, I mean, the, we do a lot of radio drama, but I know one of the things in working with the with the various amateur drama groups, there is no facility for theatre in the area for a start. Uh, I had hoped when they were building this, when actually we interfered with the design of this building, uh, tried to get a theatre built into the, the ground floor conference room. It was much bigger on the original plans. There was room for a rolled out stage. Uh, we actually have lighting in the ceiling for television. Uh, this uh, this room here to our right, the listeners won't know. I'm pointing to my right, <laughs> listeners. Uh, look to your right. Uh, there's a small studio overlooking the conference room that was built with a view to being a concert, a theatre. But it never the the space kept getting squeezed on successive drawings until it finally is a reasonable sized conference room. Uh, and we have we've done theatre in it, uh, but. That sort of thing is lacking in the area. I suppose, I mean, look, as far as I'm concerned, the place is bereft of community facilities, really. Uh, I think if I I was the minister for Coolock, I'd have a lot more facilities in it, definitely. Okay. Okay, Jack, look, uh, I always ask everybody for um, a couple of words of wisdom to finish off the conversation. Anything, a quote, anything that gets you up in the morning? Oh, God, gets me up in the morning. I, I... I quote others, but I very seldom quote myself. Uh, no, I, I, I think, I think my mantra is that, and it has sustained me when I realise media is really is that. I think the, I think this planet would be in a far better place if we use communications technologies to communicate. Uh, I think, I think, I think the commercial use of media is a total misappropriation of a really important technology. I think right now with the planet heating, we need to be, it's a long quote this, we need, we do need to be talking to each other properly, a proper dialogue across this planet where we save the planet and save ourselves. And I think if, if I had one wish, it would be that somehow the United Nations or UNESCO or someone would appropriate uh, all communications technologies, including the internet, for proper dialogue between the citizens of this planet before we destroy ourselves. It's good enough for me. doesn't matter if it's longer than I expected. <laughs> <laughs> and look, we're going to finish it off with uh, the first movement um, from the piano concerto number three in C minor, Beethoven. Well, 
people listening to this will probably say this is an intense fucker he never stops <laughs> fretting about the planet but there are evenings when I sit down with a glass of red wine uh, and I, I do chill out maybe with a piece of classical music because uh, I do re- like to relax occasionally <laughs> I do relax occasionally when I've stopped sending off emails to the committee here and telling them what they're doing wrong uh, so um, no the problem is usually after three glasses of wine that's when I send an email okay so I keep saying I won't send an email after three glasses of wine but they, they get them here all the time but anyway I, I, I like to chill out with some classical music and this particular piece is just one that I happened to be listening to when I, I, you requested it so I said it just what happens that it was exactly what I was listening to so it's a nice piece of music uh, and it's just one of the things I listen to if people want to envisage me sitting in quietly in my little studio at home uh, not a broadcast studio uh, it's just my, me and my laptop and a nice bottle of red wine well Jack Byrne, thanks a million for your time. Really appreciate it. If you got this far in the podcast, I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share and leave a review on iTunes. It's much appreciated.